The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Jesse Giglio is speaking. God just, he just interrupted my life majorly. And at that point, it was a, a in the history of my story, just a, a, a full-on U-turn. I was like, okay, I got to turn this thing around. That, that is not where I want to go anymore. And it wasn't perfect, and I, and I kind of moved, moved on, you know, on my way. And, but really just began to develop a heart for missions and the church and, and God and his, and his people. And it was, but, but it was that moment that I, I wasn't set up for. I didn't bring anything to the table that was really of any use to God. I wasn't prepped for that. And sometimes when we, when we come to God or we feel like we want to be used by God or something more for me, you feel like, well, i got to sort out all this other stuff first. And then when I get my act together, then God can sort of use me. Then, I can, then, I'll, then I'll engage when I'm kind of ready. And God doesn't work that way. He's not interested in you even pretending that you have anything good to bring. He's like, I'm going to jump in on you now. Right where I was at was perfect for my story. And I just want to encourage you as we look at the story of the church in, in just a moment, as God reaches down and interrupts the people of that time and, and births something really beautiful, that that's, that's the heart of our God, all the way from, from Genesis through Revelation and into now into our church age. It's like, I'm not worried about what you think you have or don't have. I'm doing stuff, and I'll use you. Man, and that's actually really, I think, very liberating for us. I think that's some of the, the gospel message is that it's not supposed to be heavy or burdensome. You don't have to bear guilt. You don't have to get ready. It's like, man, wherever you're at, he's like, fine. I'll meet you wherever you are, whoever you are, whenever. God's good. He's here now. He's interested in you right now. You don't have to be any more ready than you are in this moment. And that's a great story of, of sort of the gospel. So uh, back to Acts. So Acts, basically what we're picking up is Jesus has, uh, late last year we looked at Luke, and Jesus has, He's died and he's risen. He's hung out with his people for a while longer because he kind of wants to make sure they're okay before he leaves. You know, he comes back to life and he's like, ah, they're still kind of shaky. Let me hang around a little longer just to make sure this thing can get off the ground. And, and when he feels like they're, they're, they're ready, there's the ascension. And Jesus departs and he, he kind of heads off, off into the clouds and he leaves his people behind. He, says, but don't, he said, don't worry, just hang out. The Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to know what to do, which is, which is pretty vague for, for the people of that time and even for us sometimes now. Just wait, Holy Spirit's going to come. Like, okay. But the, the people were hanging out. Jesus has left. They're hanging out in Jerusalem. This is Peter and the disciples. And this is sort of how it looks. It's, this is Acts 1.14. Acts 1.14 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there's this gathering that's happening after Jesus has left. This is Acts 1.14. This is very fresh. It says, They were gathering, joined together constantly in prayer with the women and, and Mary and his brother. And all this family, the family's there is what they're saying. The family came. And this is a time where a lot of times these things were just the men. But it makes a point to say, no, everybody's in on this. These are the people who are close to Jesus. These are the people who saw his story. Like, let's just keep getting the family together and praying and waiting. We'll find something there. And I love that this is sort of the birth of the, of the church. We'll look at Pentecost, and it gets really wild and awesome. But really, what precedes Pentecost is a few people hanging out together as a family praying. And that's really powerful. And that is really a, sort of a beautiful image I, I felt as we've sort of been on this journey for, you know, really well over a year in small pockets of people coming along and caring for one another and still are and still what we're forming is this, is this picture. They all join together, constantly prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and his brothers. And so in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So, so this crew right now is, is sort of gaining a little momentum. It's 120 people. And Peter starts to, he's, Peter's starting to form up a little bit as, as a leader and a voice of this crew. Remember sort of some of the last time we saw Peter, he was, he was certainly not being a public voice. He was being the opposite of that. He's like, I don't even know Jesus. I'm, I'm out. 
And now, there's, now they're hanging out together, and he's, he's sort of forming this family in a different way. And Acts 2 picks up th this way. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages, also as the Spirit enabled them. So, when, so this Pentecost came. Now, the, the background of the story of Pentecost, we think of Pentecost, if you've been in the church at all, like, well, that's the day the Holy Spirit came and Peter preached and all this stuff happened. Pentecost was, was a festival. It was a Jewish festival. Uh, it was one of three of the big pilgrimage Jewish festivals. So if you remember Jesus in the, during the time of Passover, that was sort of the Last Supper. All these, these Jewish people came from all over the place, coming from other countryside, uh, the countrysides, other nations, and they descend on Jerusalem for this, this usually about a week to ten days, at, for these festival periods where they, uh, they, they present themselves to the temple and they celebrate and they kind of pay their dues and they, and they thank God. And, and this was really important for the people. This pilgrimage was not something you decided not to do some years. Like you did it every year, you did it every time. And so Pentecost was another one of those times. It was another one of these, these festivals. In Jewish, it was Shavuot. And Shavuot was the festival of the harvest. So Passover is a little more in, in the spring. It's a late spring, and it's kind of the sowing of the, of the seeds, and, and it's, everything's agriculture, and it's the sowing, and they're kind of they're leaning on that time. This is they've done the planting, and now they're going to take a little bit of a break, and they kind of celebrate. And later on, about it, it, Pentecost is, is another word for basically 50. So it's, it's 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. And so the Jew, Jerusalem is swelling with people again. They're all back. And this is right after the harvest. So this is, this is like the most celebrated one of these things. It's like the Mardi Gras of like the Jewish calendar. Like, yeah, Shavuot, like we're all going. Like we're going to go hang out in Jerusalem. Somewhere upwards of, some would say, maybe 100 extra thousand people would descend on this city. And it just sort of blows up for like a week. So this is the time. So the day of Pentecost came. It's already this tons of activity happening in Jerusalem tons of uh, even religious activity, festivities, there's kind of like some parties kind of breaking out, celebrations, it's a very active time. And so that's what he's saying, when the day of Pentecost came, that's the picture Luke, the Luke the writer is painting, that there was this thing happening that Peter wasn't necessarily really involved with, that was happening all around him. And also speaks, I was just kind of musing on these things a little bit, because these three pilgrimages that take place over the course of a year for the Jewish people, and again, they, were, they had to make it. They left wherever they were going. They packed up their stuff, and they, they head to Jerusalem, and they participate in something. And there was something about the pilgrimage, I think, for you and I, that it, it is definitely lost on us. We don't pilgrimage anywhere. But if we think of God as a, God, a, a, a gathering God, God is about the gathering. He's been gathering people since he came onto the story. He's like, I need people to get together. And these, these, these festivals speak to that. They speak to this thing. When they, we need our people to get together often. It builds, a, it builds a community. It strengthens the sort of self-identification of the, of the nation. And when you drift too far out of that, if people say, I'm going to take a couple of years off, and we've all been there, and, and, and sort of some degree that happens today in the church, when you kind of drift out there, you're kind of like, I don't really care anymore. And so when they discipline themselves to be part of this thing, it reminds them who they are and who God is. And there's something of value, of value in the gathering, and we'll see later on in, into Acts 2 and through Acts uh, four and five, they continue to sort of gather this way. And there's a sacrifice that, that takes place in that, the packing up your stuff or your family finances, taking off time, but you're going to go rally. And I'm, I, I love the Sunday thing that we do. I, I don't think it's paramount, but I think it's extremely valuable for people to get together. And we've all known people in and out of the church or, or Christians like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I just don't really do the church. Like, you don't really, you can't really do that. They go together. The gathering of the people goes with you identifying yourself 
as part of the people, right? Like that's like just not going to any family function because like you don't feel like it or don't like the family. Like you're part of the family, you kind of have to go at some point. And so the people had this pilgrimage. And I think for some of us here, I mean, maybe it feels like a pilgrimage trying to get to church. Like if you have small kids, and you have to pack up all your stuff, you have to load up your big vehicle and like get snacks and take care of the pets and whatever's going on at your house. Like it can be hard. It's a sacrifice, right? It's not easy. I get it. Every Sunday comes around. It's like, oh my gosh, Sunday again. I have to get over to this thing. But as we see God, he's a gathering God, and there's something about identifying, his people identifying that's, that seems extremely important to him. And even as we'll shake from these festivals, he still emphasizes this, this, this idea of, of, of gathering. So this big gathering's taking place in this city. It's just, it's just, going, it's just going crazy, and people are hanging out. Uh, and they're all together in one place, and, and now, now Peter and his guys are hanging out in, in one place. And this sound like a blowing wind comes through from heaven. They see these tongues of fire, like these little flames are kind of dancing around the room. And they're all filled with this Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in other tongues or, or, or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. The people, I'm oh, sorry, now, we're staying, now staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So this speaks people were coming from everywhere, every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because they heard their own language being spoken. So there's this, this, this activity happening with Peter and his guys. And it sounds like it's probably about 120 of them again. They're all still together. Uh, we'll talk about where that probably wasn't in a second. I think it was probably somewhere outside the temple courts. But people are hearing them. They're utterly amazed. They say, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? Remember, people are coming from all over the place. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, all these Roman provinces, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene. So people from all over the place, all over the kind of that known world are here, both Jewish people and those who had converted. And they're hearing these these words. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. So there's this this crazy miracle happening here. And I this verse can be ta- talked on a couple of different ways. It kind of depends what you want it to be. That's where people usually, how people use the Bible. Like, I want it to be a case for tongues or not tongues, and they'll say something. But, but there's a miracle happening, and I, I believe in the gifts of, gift of tongues, and that very well may be, a, may be a gift of tongues. It may be they were speaking other languages. It may be the people were hearing in their own language, and that was a miracle. I think we kind of miss the point if we beat up on that too much. There's something incredibly supernatural happening in this moment, that God is saying, I'm going to get involved here. Because this group had been hanging out as a family. They're praying. They're hanging out in, in, in a temple courts and upper rooms. And, and the spirit just descends on them. They just start, they just start speaking out. And what, what were they speaking of? The wonders of God. They're just speaking the wonders of God. They weren't making excuses for God. They weren't trying to appeal to people. They were saying, man, the wonders of God. The wonders of God. The, the beautiful things of God. And they may have not even known what they were saying, but people are hearing these wonders of God in a, in a, in a peaked kind of piqued their attention. Now, I think it's kind of go back real quick. We, we sometimes picture this sort of in the upper room. I think this, again, this is probably in a temple. I think we have a picture of a temple, Alex, just to kind of throw some context here because we'll see this probably in the next few chapters. This is actually like a, a scale model that you can see in Jerusalem so as people are like are checking it out. But when you think of temple, that's what it looks like. It's this big open kind of courtyard with a bunch of inner rooms. And, and I don't know, when you think of temple, maybe it's whatever was in your mind, but this is kind of what it looked like. Um, and so you can hang around the outside, you can hang around the inside, there's steps on other sides of it, way inside there's the Holy of Holy, there's all these different places where you can uh, present kind of your sacrifice and get clean, and there's this whole situation, the center of the city, center of the Jewish world, this is where the people would be coming to hang out, and then I think there's one other picture of this, sort of these steps, 
So I think probably they're hanging around some of these staffs. One of the things about the upper room idea of the Last Supper is it probably didn't fit 120 people, and it would have been really hard to reach what we'll find out is 3,000 people. So the sort of idea is that it's probably hanging out in the temple courts where we'll see them hanging out later on. And remember Peter and these guys, this is sort of an aside and, and just because I like talking about this stuff, they weren't resisting the temple at that point. Jesus had left, but as far as they can tell, it wasn't like, oh, we have to do away with Judaism, and that's, that's bad. They're like, we, don't, we didn't hear, any, hear otherwise, so let's, we'll continue to, to gather in, temp, in the temple. We'll continue to be good Jewish people like we were. We're hanging around. And so this sort of miracle bursts out, this, this, just this speaking uh, uh, in other languages or other tongues, and these people start to sort of start to hear this. And again, I think it's probably because it's in this out, outside the temple. People are hanging out anyway. And, and, they're, and, they're, and they're starting to wonder, like, what's, what's going on? What's happening here? And they start making a couple comments. One, they say, the Gal- they say aren't these men Galileans? Now, Galileans in, in, is kind of interesting. They were up north of Jerusalem. Uh, this is Peter and Jesus from, oh, from Galilee. They were fishermen. They were kind of farm folk. And the Jewish people, like the city people, looked down on the farm folk. They were like, they were like country bumpkins or whatever. Like they, they just didn't think they were intelligent. The Galileans actually, what, what I've read, they, they actually had a different kind of little bit of a different tone, like a different accent. Um, they swallow different syllables that the other city Jewish people can say really well. And so they're kind of saying like, these guys, like these hicks, they, they, what are they doing? What are they talking about? Right? And, they're, and they're kind of looking down on these people just from where they, where they come from. How is it each of them, how does each of them even know our language? These guys are, are, are uneducated people from the sticks. And yet somehow we're hearing this, we're hearing other language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And somehow we made fun of them and said, we have, they have had too much wine. So they're sort of looking at this thing like, this isn't happening. I, I hear something good, but it can't be from these guys. They're probably drunk. They've had, they've had too much wine, right? They've had too much wine. And, and Peter gets up and he addresses the crowd. He says, Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. Right? Now, if it's after the 9 in the morning, like, hey, all bets are off. Like, that's, that's fine. That's sort of why we wait till 9 to start drinking. It comes from, from Peter, unless you're camping. But it's... it's it's sort of this idea, like, what are you guys talking about? This is crazy. But, but for, the, for this time, even the people who weren't serious practicing Jews, they wouldn't have even probably had food or drink before 9 in the morning. At 9 in the morning, that was prayer time. They were very devout. Uh, they tend to sort of abstain from food and drink. The whole first few hours of the day uh, was a time of prayer and of temple. So Peter's like, listen, even if, we were, even if we're Galileans, we don't start before 9. Like, we have, even we have our standards. And it kind of satisfies the crowd a little bit because there's not really any sort of rebuttal to that. And he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. And Peter starts to get up, and, and, he, and, he, and he begins this sort of th- this message. He's got the people's attention. He's got the people's attention, hearing in their own language the wonders of God. And there's a quick bit of a few people like trying to make fun of it, but you could almost see they would kind of rise up. These guys are drunk. And then like someone else like, I don't know. I can understand that. Because God, and you can just kind of feel this going through the crowd, right? Because there's always going to be a couple of voices in the crowd like shooting everything down. That's like, ah, actually, I, I understood it too. Like, I don't, think they're, I don't think they're drunk. And so the crowd's sort of, almost like there's this hush going over. Like, what's, what's going on here? And Peter begins to speak. And, and, and if you kind of re- just remember this, all these people around. And especially that time of day, God's sort of building this thing. This is where all these guys are going to be out. 
all these people are in this city. All these people are, are, are around and ready. And Peter gets up on these, probably at some point in the steps or in the temple courts. And he says, fellow Israelites, and he goes on, and we're not going to read the whole thing today. It's just, he starts quoting Old Testament. He's giving prophecies. And he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So, so prior to this, he's kind of built up all these Old Testament stuff. He's, he's, he's quoting prophets, and he says, this guy Jesus, he came with signs and wonders. And said, so this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, or of those not having the law, that's to be the Gentiles, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So he sets up this message, then he says, you guys killed Jesus, which is a really hard thing to probably hear, if you're the guys that are listening to sort of signs and wonders. And he speaks in very sort of bold terms, and I think this message is interesting because it, it wasn't a seeker-sensitive message at all. It was a very hard message. But the other thing here is that people he was preaching to, they weren't even seeking. They weren't, they weren't checking out a church. We always think in these sort of terms, but the people weren't seeking. And sometimes we're kind of wondering, even in our own churches, and I, I don't know, I hope we're, I don't even know if that's a, a, a language we should use, but we try to be too seeker-sensitive. Who's, who's seeking? And if they're seeking, like, preach the truth. And so Peter's like, he's just bringing what the Holy Spirit's downloading through him. And the people begin to respond, even if they didn't, didn't want to. So when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call. He said, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. And sort of the church just has this massive startup. Because Peter's bringing the truth through the Holy Spirit, and, and there's a conviction that falls over the, over the people. And I think for you and I, if, we, if we've had these sort of hard things come our way, these hard truths, Sometimes it's hard to hear them, right? I don't like hearing a hard truth about myself from, from God or anybody else, you know, or my wife, right? Like, but when you know it's true, you know it's true. We're like, ah, shoot, that is a bummer. Like, I, I, I want to resist. I, and, and I would imagine these people, when they weren't looking to repent and be baptized that day. They were caring about the business of their festival, and then something cuts to their heart, speaks to them, the divine cut to their heart through this truth of this message. They say, hey, listen, you need help. Jesus wants to save you. Man, it's just a powerful, sort of powerful word. But when God's working, and I think for us as we interact with people, truth is not a bad thing. We don't have to be afraid of that. We shouldn't be afraid of it directed toward us or if we have truth and love toward, toward other people or even as a church community. I was taking my daughter to dance this, uh, this week, and I think on Friday, and was just kind of busy with coming from our house, and we're cutting a little close, and we hit some, hit some traffic on Los Angeles Avenue, whatever's out there, coming up towards Satakoy, and I'm like, ah, you know, we're like five minutes away, and I'm like, might be faster if you get out and walk, and, you know, we're kind of sitting in traffic, I'm like, all right, like, you know, I throw, pull up my phone, or basically stop, check the Waze app, the map, the, you know, the map app, and like, see what's going on, if there's an accident, or, or traffic, and it's just like, all red, I'm like, ah, you know, kind of put that down, and creep a few more blocks down the road, get, get within like a block of her dance studio, and I see a police car behind me. And I'm like, you know, you, know when, you never want to see a police car behind you, right? Like, I'm like, I don't think I did anything, but I just feel guilty. And the lights come on, it's this SUV, the lights come on on the, on the, on the truck, and I'm like, ah, oh, man. And so we kind of have to creep off to the side, and I'm like, 
I think we're like a couple buildings away from the dance place. I'm like, all right, don't get out and run to the dance, Bella, but I'm going to, you may have to walk. Let's get to the officer over here. The officer comes to the window, <clears throat> and, uh, and I said, before we do this, <laughs> I was hoping she wouldn't like, you know, shoot me, but I said, before we do this, my daughter's late for dance. Is there any chance she can get out and, and walk the dance? And she's like, thank you for telling me. That would have been awkward if she got out and left, you know, and, and so she said, sure, you can go, and she goes to dance. And she says, you know why I'm pulling you over? And uh, I'm like, I don't like to self-incriminate myself. Like, so I'm not about to say anything. Like, uh, no, you know, like, and I said, no, I didn't, I don't, and I wasn't sure, actually. I thought maybe one of our, our tag was off or something. And I, and I said, no, I actually don't. She says, you were on your phone. And I was like, oh, I was on my phone. I, and I'm like, yes, but, you know, my mind, yes, but I was right here. I was just checking the map. We're late for dance. I was checking the thing. I, I, we were basically stopped. And she said, well, you know, California ordinance, something, something you can't touch your phone. And I was like, I was like I'm, I'm super sorry. I, it was just for a second, you know, all this stuff, right? All this stuff. It was just for a second. Uh, I, I, you know, I was, whatever reason you come up with, right? Because when you're in those spots, when you're being kind of convicted and you're being accused of something, it's, those things come up real fast. Like, the excuses will just start to pour out. And uh, I just sort of like, at some point, like, yeah, all right. And she's like, all right, I'll be right back. And, and she goes to the car, and, and she's gone for like an hour or whatever, which is never good. And, and you know, she asked, she asked me, hey, you know, are your license, insurance, everything good? And I'm like, yeah. And like, she's like, you hesitated. I'm like, ah, I, I think they're good. Like, I'm so, all of a sudden, I'm super nervous. Like, what else did I do? And and fortunately, it's like, oh, yeah, you're clear. But, you know, she goes back, and she comes back with the, with the citation. It's like, well, here's how it works. Like, you know, we, we're doing this, this, and this, and you can pay it that way. And I'm like, she's like, you can, or you can go to, or you can show up at court on this date. I'm like, do you want to go to court? And she's like, well, she's like, I'll be there if you show up. And uh, I was like, I'm just kidding. And I, and I said, yeah. And she, I, she said, I'm sorry to do it. And I said, no, you're totally right. Like, I got the ticket. I shouldn't have been on my phone. I have a teenager in the car. 100% like busted here like what am I going to do that is the law that is the truth like this is the consequences uh, that's that's how it goes and yeah I said thank you so much and she's like well thank you for being so accommodating and so kind and 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 she went on her way but it was one of those deals that I think when we really when we hear something and we know that yeah you're in the wrong here there's nothing you can do about it and you're just in that spot. And when God's spirit begins to move, like he did when I was standing in that little church, there's nothing I can say. I, you're right. I've been missing it. When God's spirit fell over Peter and he started saying, here's the deal. God's been caring for you. He's had a story for you. He's, he's pointed to this moment. He sent Jesus and you did this and you've left it. They're like, oh, yeah, he did. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we rely on him. Without that, it's just it's just words. But that truth will pierce to the heart. They said it cuts, it cut to their heart. And they repented and they were baptized, about 3,000 that day. And this, this is cool, this just closing. There's, there's a ton in here, and we could probably go on for days with it, and maybe we'll come back to some of it. But so, so, so I'm assuming they're probably around this temple area. 3,000 people is a lot of people, and they're outside this, this building. It said they repented and were baptized. And in that time, where they're at, to accommodate that kind of mass baptism, there's not that many places you can do it, but the temple happened to have places you can do it. Because they had these pools of sort of holy water that, that the, the Jewish people would come to, and they, could, they would baptize themselves, sort of cleanse themselves of their sins. So it, it was a repetitive process. So you didn't do it once. You would do it. You'd come back. You'd have to do it again. They'd wash themselves over there. So the temple had this thing built in because of the law for, for sort of baptism. 
And what's happening here now? All of a sudden, Peter, through the Holy Spirit and Jesus, he's like, yeah, that temple used to be about one thing. It's now it's going to be about something else. And the temple had a season, and that was great for a season, but now there's something new happening. And now there's something different happening. Now there's a different temple being built. As the people walk through these waters, Jesus is building the church. He's building a new temple that lives in humankind. Through this sort of old system is done, I'm, I'm moving on. And I, and I sort of just love the imagery at, the, at this sort of turn in history for the Jewish people and, and, and sort of for us, where we spent all this time with the temple system, the religious system, the law, the sacrifice, the, the religi- religiosity, the liturgy, the priests, the whole thing. It was all supposed to be kept in the temple. And Jesus is like, well, you know, we still got those temples. I'm going to do something different with that temple now. So I want you guys to be the temple. Let's use those waters. And he reclaims and repurposes this sort of old thing. And I wonder in our lives, wherever you're at, kind of whatever season you're at, I wonder what those things are that we've sort of built up as this sort of an old thing. And Jesus is like, you know what, that thing was fine for a while, but I want to do something new now. That way you practice your faith, that was fine for a while. That, 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 that community, that way you live, that, that way you used your talents, that was fine for that season, but now there's something new I want to do. And that didn't mean the temple was bad and it's time the temple was fine. This whole work of the Spirit is about this new life. And we can hang around these things sometimes because we just like, ah, I'm comfortable with the temple, I understand it better. And we want to go back to those, sometimes those things in our life. Jesus is like, man, move on from that. It's okay, I, I can use that. And Jesus can use anything. And God, for you and I, wherever you're at, this is, this is awesome, he's already there. He's there where you are. And he can use whatever you have. And he used a bunch of Galileans, country folk from, from Galilee, through the power of the Spirit to give birth to the, 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 new, the new nation of sort of spiritual Israel, the church. He uses the old temple pools. Like, let's use those. Those are, those are cool. We can, we can deal with those. That'd be perfect. He uses the temple steps to gather people. He uses an old festival to get people together. Like, you know what's going to be perfect? All these people are going to be here from all over the world, and we can preach the gospel, and then they're going to go back out to those places. And God works these things for his good, and it's just amazing if we pay attention. So we're going to close in a song, and we'll kind of wrap up, and Noah will come back up. And, and just like kind of process that question a little bit in your own life, I think that ending sort of idea of like the temple stuff, the old stuff, that sometimes is hard to let go of. It's hard to, it's hard to dismiss because it meant so much for a time. And Jesus said, that's okay. I'm glad it meant, I'm glad it meant a lot to you in a time. It's like it meant a lot to me too, but now there's a new time. Now there's something new I want to do with you. And I want to use that, that I want to use those old baptism pools for a new baptism. So God, thanks for your, your story. Thanks for the, the story of the church, just for using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God, I thank you that you have invited us into this just incredible relational narrative. That you're active and you choose to use us, God. Lord, may your Holy Spirit visit us even now as we gather in temple courts and around tables and in parks. Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you. We plead that you be part of this story of this community. In your name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Again, that website address is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com.
C-H-U-R-C-H.com. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and yours.